Uh, Chairperson, we've only received one apology from a member, Sukars, who's, who's not well. So she went with us today due to ill health. Uh, we're going to miss her. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the only apology you have? Yes, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, can you table the agenda? Okay. And you scroll it, take it up. Uh, sorry, sorry, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Where is it going now? Sorry, Chair. There is it, honorable members. Uh, it's two items. It's GPV presentation and uh, presentation by Dr. Harris on and how to deal with the issues on Combot. Those are the two items we have. Can I table the agenda, honorable members, for your adoption? Honorable Bana proposing adoption. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's COVID update, sorry. Yeah. Uh, any seconder? I will second the adoption, honorable chairperson. Ah, please, thank you very much, honorable Bana member. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, good, mo- good day, honorable Bana member. At least you. Hello, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, those are the items, honorable members. Uh, honorable Minister, who are in your hands? Um, a very good morning uh, to you, uh, Honorable Chairperson, and a very good morning to all the honorable members. And I think my Deputy Minister is also. Uh, in the in the meeting, uh, you see, it has become a bit difficult for us because we don't see each other now. We rely on this uh, 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 on this platform. But having said that, I think uh, we are getting used to the platform. Uh, Chairperson, safe to say that there are still some protocols we need to uh, uh, adhere to and get used to. Otherwise, we will start talking other things on this platform. Uh, somebody knows what I'm talking about from earlier on. Um, okay. <laughs> yes, uh, Chairperson, um, it, it really is an honor for us to be back again um, after a short um, recess. A recess, obviously, that was very difficult because we were unable to do um, what we normally do when Parliament goes into recess. We also go to the centers and places which are supported by the Department um, of Social Development and its um, portfolio. But there are a few places that we managed to go to. The DM also managed to go to some places. Um, It's very difficult because we have to expose ourselves, but there's work that needs to be done. And so we will continue doing the work. And I also want to thank you, Chairperson, for raising the issue uh, of gender-based violence and femicide, and and also to indicate that um, this is not a this is a non-partisan matter. For real, this is a non-partisan matter. This is a matter that we all have to hold hands together 
because gender-based violence doesn't actually ask which party you belong to or which class you belong to or where do you live and how do you live. It doesn't ask. It's a societal problem. We have to keep on going back to the fact that it's a societal problem that we all have to help each other. This is the matter uh, which, in my view, we have to uh, step up as communities in terms of behavioral change, uh, because we might be looking at uh, people who are, uh, are, are abusing women and children and, and isolate them from the greater challenge of society. It's a societal problem. It's an old age uh, problem that many of us, one way or the other, and I can tell you in the room where we are right now, many of the women who are here will tell uh, horrendous stories. And the painful part about it is that many of us who are women supposedly in, in certain positions um, are not supposed to expose ourselves to the challenges that we have, even in our own families. Um, yet at the same time, we are supposed to be exemplary because we are the people that need to make the policy decisions. We are the people that have to put the programs in place. I always say uh, in the olden days when we used to talk about gender-based violence and how some of our own women would not want to talk about their own situation, I used to say uh, we wear the two aprons, one for going out at work and one that we have to wear when we are at home. And if we can break that down, it can make a big difference because it's no point with us sitting here and talking about these issues when we are struggling with those issues in our own homes and we are too scared to even talk about it because we don't want to be hanged out there. It is said we are hanging our dirty linen. So to the men and women who are present here today, my view is that uh, the chairperson is spot on about this being a nonpartisan issue. This is an issue that we should not uh, turn into a political football, which is something that we all have to work together. And my view, uh, Chairperson and honorable members, that we must go back to some of the old age things that we used to do of knowing home to home, street to street, community to community, just the neighbor knowing uh, without necessarily interfering, but knowing that uh, something is happening next door that shouldn't be happening. So I am of the view that we need to go back and mobilize uh, Chairperson, you would know better, and all those who are in the room who know what it was during the liberation struggle when we used to have very strong uh, community committees that used to guide us and help us into uh, who is where and why and what is happening. Even this issue of gender-based violence, if, if we are to be honest ourselves, it's not something that uh, our communities would have been proud of. We're never proud. Uh, of it. You would hear here and there maybe some men when they are drunk, uh, they would walk around and say, Me, I'm going to slap my wife. That's the way I show how much I love my wife. And the wife would also go out and say, Oh, yes, my boyfriend, or wife, or boyfriend, my boyfriend gave me a clap. He's doing that because he's showing love. This is the time we developed uh, programs that help us with behavioral change of our communities. It's, it doesn't matter how long we've been in democracy for me. What matters is, this is the situation we're in today. This is what is happening. And as, as I started the meeting, I was called, I was being called by the MEC of KZN. And let me tell you, when I see that call of the MEC of, of KZN, my body just freezes. My intestines just not. 
because I'm, I'm fearing what is the, the MEC going to be telling me now after all the bodies that were discovered, what is she going to be saying? So I will call her after this because they're just those, those provinces where you know when the MEC calls you, you have to answer quick because chances are that she's raising issues of gender-based violence. She's raising those issues. So I think that what we are doing here today is something that I personally, as well as the portfolio, I know the, 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 the other uh, sisters who work with me, they take this very seriously. We have to do everything we can. And one of the things that I think is a weakness in our system is the proper coordination between ourselves and social development, uh, women, um, a, a police, justice system. We still need to find a way of really like working together, not because some event or some incident has happened. We work together because we are saying 365 days of the year, we have to do everything we can to make sure that our, our um, uh, the work that we do must be seen, must be felt uh, by the communities um, uh, on the ground. And I think that um, we, we also need to call upon the different NGOs and NPOs that are doing this to also have a very coordinated approach uh, towards it so that we don't occupy this platform because we are trying to show that this one doesn't do the work and that one does the work. We occupy the platform because we want to make the difference that Jefferson, you always talk about, about us seeing the impact of the work um, uh, that we are doing. So uh, today, uh, we have to ensure that those who have experienced abuse are able to access appropriate support also. And the appropriate support we are talking about is not only the support that is rendered by the Department of Social Development, it is the support that is rendered also by many other uh, departments. So um, this is the essence, for instance, of the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide, which was developed by, by the Interim Steering Committee following the historic 2018 Presidential Summit. Um, the NSP provides a multi-sectoral and coordinated national response, which was approved by mm. Cabinet in March this year. It is a call to action for us all over the next, uh, well, it's not five years anymore. It's now about four years or so. A call for us in the next years remaining to work together so we achieve our shared vision of a South Africa free from gender-based violence and femicide. The department will make the presentation, Chairperson. Safe to say that I do want to say that the NSP is anchored on six pillars, namely accountability, coordination, and leadership, prevention and rebuilding of social cohesion, justice, safety, and protection, response, care, support, and healing, economic empowerment, and research and information uh, management. And so I don't want, I'm not going to go through the entire plan, the, the, the entire um, um, presentation on my side, because I think that uh, let us allow the department to make the presentation so that we enable also the time for questions and so forth. Safe to say, Chairperson, that I do want to say that um, Pillar 4, uh, we have recently gazetted the Victim Support Service Bill for public comments, and I'm saying to the department, let's not sit and say we have given it to the, it's going to go to parliament. Let us make it our responsibility also to mobilize uh, people to make the necessary input so that everyone who needs to make the input is aware of that. And I call on both members of the portfolio and select committee to popularize the bill in your constituencies to ensure that our legislation keeps pace 
um, that our interventions are responsive to the life experience of gender-based uh, violence. Uh, so, and then mm -hmm. lastly, we also have the uh, the CARA funds, which I'm sure, Chairperson, part of what you were speaking about, that we are unable to go to the centers. This is one area with regarding to funding. We have allocated 100 million from the Criminal Assets Recovery CARA Fund account to provide financial support to organizations rendering services to victims of crime, gender-based violence, and femicide. And the department will provide more information to members about this. And your task, obviously, uh, is that of ensuring that the oversight is done, the right organizations are being given the money, they are also accountable for what they do. We also see the impact of the work that they do. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I'll give over to the department. Departments, uh, how many minutes are you going to take? Because in, in Parliament at 2 o'clock, Department, AGG. Yeah, they had a bit of a problem with, with connection. I hope they have connected now, Che. Okay. Hello? Hello? Okay. Yes. You okay. are speaking from far, Linton. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Chair. Thank you. Right, so can you hear me now, Chair? Yes, 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 yes. That's better. Okay, no, thank you very much, Chair. And um, uh, okay. Uh, we are advised that uh, we are not we are not the host and therefore we can't share the presentation, uh, chairperson. Uh, the host uh, has first need to disable the screen so that uh, we are able to share the presentation. Can the host disable the screen for uh, them? No. Okay, uh, chairperson, I've made LinkedIn and Kolele Broker the co-host, so she you will be able to to make the presentation at any time. Okay, uh, are you able to see it now? Just try. Not yet. Take, it seems to be coming. Okay. Not yet. I don't see it yet. Was that too late? Nancy, Nancy Jefferson. I was born away, don't I born him? Yeah, yeah, what I want to say, see what I saw. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. How many minutes? Okay. 10 minutes? 10 minutes? Uh, or 15? Uh, 20. Hi, 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 hi. Okay, that's fine, Chef. Okay, no, thank you very much, Chair. Um, uh, 
Um, okay, let me just uh, start now. It, your presentation has disappeared. Yeah, Hi, yeah. Um, can maybe rescue the situation for the sake of yes. progress and flight from my side? No, if it's assisting, please do it quickly. We need to move now. Can you see it, the presentation? Yes, yes. Clinton, Clinton. DJ. Bridget. DJ. Chair, I'm not sure if you can hear me now. I can see the presentation. They are flighting it from the parliament side. Yeah, I'm sorry, Chair. We are really struggling with the connection here. No, it's um, fine. They are I think we are low shading. Uh, Lindy, can you open it? Uh, it's small. Can you try okay. to? I'm trying to set slideshow. Uh, uh, try to ex try to expand it a bit. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to put a slideshow. It doesn't want to do it. Uh, can you see now? Uh, it's getting worse now. Yeah. Yes, we, we see it, but it's small. It's very small. Oh, there we go. So, so if you can press, um, sure. I'm not sure why it's not it's not working for myself. Start load show. Um, I'm just, yes. I'm starting to. You just start. go to the from beginning, then we'll be good. Master, stop. And you'll fly from that side. Linton. Master, uh, stop. I'm still struggling. Yeah, if you can just press uh, from beginning, then we should be fine. Sorry about this, Chair. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Members and uh, Chair. And apologies once again for the for the challenges with the, with the technical uh, areas on our side. We are load shedding, um, and so we're using a, I think it's a generator that's on. Um, Chair, um, we would just by way of of course we are presenting to you um, uh, our comprehensive plan uh, to address gender-based violence. Um, and femicide, um, as per the request of the portfolio committee. To go to the next slide, please. Um, let me just deal with the situation analysis. As you know, the country is experiencing a very high level of gender-based violence. Um, uh, and despite uh, the, uh, the state's interventions, uh, both civil society as well as uh, private sector, uh, we are still, we have good policies in place, good programs in place, but the challenge is that um, elements of gender-based violence still persist and still continue. Um, and so uh, we think that this is uh, a behavioral change uh, challenge, which is also um, uh, um, uh, associated with cultural norms and, of course, uh, um, uh, the prevalent patriar patriarchal system. And our view is that the NSP uh, will assist us in better coordinating uh, this work because, uh, as it is, a number of departments are doing a number of things around gender-based violence, and the NSP really puts this together 
um, and so that we're able to respond accordingly in this in this regard. Of course, our niche area or area of focus is the Department of Social Development. You'll see there is a psychosocial support services um, within our shelters, of course, and of course providing trauma counseling. And um, uh, we um, uh, you note that the recent crime stats uh, recorded around 42,228 uh, rape cases. These are only cases that have been recorded. Other cases have not necessarily been recorded. Uh, and so our view is that this will probably increase um, close to the hundreds of thousands, if not even more, uh, if those cases that were not re that were reported were also included in this. Um, so uh, I think it's also important to highlight that um, um, the 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 there are challenges around the manner in which um, uh, the cases are, are are classified. So if a person is committing what we would ordinarily call a gender-based violence case, um, uh, actually. Uh, when the person is found guilty, they're not classified and criminalized for gender-based violence. So it's either rape or it's either called um, um, assault. So we're talking to justice to see how best we can deal with those challenges um, so that we're able to, to, to manage that. Of course, the minister also spoke about the Victim Support Services Bill and the work that we're doing in that regard. Uh, and in essence, we are saying that in general, the criminal justice system um, has basically paid a lot of attention on the perpetrator's rights uh, as opposed to the victims, and the victims are often neglected. So um, the public are being asked to make input into this bill, and uh, really what we're trying to do um, is also to ensure that uh, the, uh, the, the, the bill focuses more on, or rather the work of the criminal justice system focuses more um, or centralizes uh, uh, victims in that regard. Maybe it's also important to say that um, there's some literature out now that is beginning to validate the work that we are doing as a department. Um, you, and um, uh, recently, of course, Lisa uh, Pitten, who um, most colleagues would know, um, has written around um, uh, the importance of helplines and sheltering. Um, and some of the research that she says there is basically indicating that uh, victims of gender-based violence are not keen to open cases, rather they seek um, a service health services and trauma counseling services. Um, and um, uh, so so we have call centers, of course, that are dealing with some of these areas. You can go to the next slide. Um, in terms of the helpline, um, they're saying that uh, uh, because they provided, they, these provide immediate access uh, to emotional support um, and um, uh, enable the, the, the victims to remain anonymous. So um, I just, maybe let me just also indicate that um, um, uh, she indicates that the sheltering uh, breaks the cycle of violence by providing a range of, of services such as temporary uh, safe accommodation, basic necessities, trauma counseling, and limited skills development in some areas. It's important to note, Chair, that uh, the Commission for Gender Equality uh, also acknowledged the importance of sheltering <clears throat> services. Um, and in their recent study... You must correct, the, uh, you, you must correct that word, the importance... You see, it's, it's wrong. Whilst Commission on Gender Equality acknowledges the important. Yes, yes. Apologies, Chair. It's importance. You're right. Yes, proceed. Okay. Um, and of course, um, the study also reflects a number of challenges. Some of these challenges, let me just uh, speak to one or two of them. Um, um, uh, in the shelters, uh, one of the issues is that uh, we, we tend to focus more on individuals rather than families. So if a mother would come with her kids to the shelter, um, in, in all likelihood, they would, they would take just the mother and not necessarily the mother and the kids. 
Of course, some of the shelters are also not LGBTQT, LGBTIQ, LGBTQI plus friendly. Uh, the acronym is not easy to, to get. Um, and of course, the other issues which the shelters have raised in a number of um, uh, uh, correspondence even to us is the fact that um, the funding is not standardized and that uh, it continues to be a challenge. Um, and of course, what we're doing is we're trying to enhance our coordination with SETS, health uh, and other relevant departments so that we're able to uh, provide necessary services. Can we go to the next slide, please? I'll ask Caesar to talk to one or two of the areas around the NSP and our work, particularly as it links to um, 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 uh, pillar four um, and one or two of the other pillars as well. Can we go to the next slide, please? Is that the slide you want, Susan? No, the one before that, Chair. Um, okay, go, go back Jay, with Chair, Honorable Members, Minister and Deputy Minister, my name is Susan Mahangui. The, uh, this one on the journey, just to uh, briefly share with the committee the, the, the journey that we took when we're developing the NSP. Uh, it's important to note that... The what is NSP? Then the National Strategic Plan of Action on Gender-Based Violence. And that is very important. Yes, somebody who All right, proceed. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, we looked at a number of uh, documents that has helped us to inform the development of the NSP, which is the program of action that we had as a department before, we also looked at the 24 demands that were crafted by total shutdown movement. We looked at the presidential summit uh, feedback. We looked at the declarations itself. We also looked at the consultation process. There were, there were nine provincial consultations that took place. There are the dates that uh, we conducted. There was also online uh, Facebook uh, feedback that we are receiving as well as uh, specific sector consultations, like there were a number of se uh, sectors that were consulted, unusual stakeholders, like the business sector was consulted, the youth sector, the labor sector, as well as the community-based sectors. So out of all those consultations, a draft was developed and approved, it was presented to cabinet and it was approved. Next slide. Yeah, in terms of the next slide, we these are just the pictures chair of the consultation process and the groups that uh, we had. And those groupings, they were mainly the things that they raised, it were, they were critical issues. Like, for instance, they raised the issue of effective criminal justice system, they raised the issue of safe transport, street lights, drug trafficking, policing. They raised the issue of rapid uh, teams uh, that needs to be established at a local level. They raised the issue of addressing women's economic vulnerability, issues of parenting, as well as alcohol abuse interventions. Those were the issues that were critical that they expected the NSP to address. Next slide. The next slide is basically about the purpose to say what is the purpose which the minister has already alluded to and it's also capturing the vision to say the vision that we really want to arrive at is that all people in South Africa must feel safe, particularly women and children. And we also 
uh, hoping that this plan will enable women to realize their rights as, 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 as people of South Africa. Next slide. The next, the next slide is about uh, the pillars. The minister has alluded to the pillars, but I just want to indicate who is leading because all these pillars, they've got different uh, departments that are leading. The first pillar one is led by Department of Women, Youth, and People with Disabilities. Pillar two is led by the Department of Higher Education and GCIS. Pillar three is led by the Department of Justice. Pillar four is led by us. DSD. Pillar five is led by small business and DTI. The last pillar is led by State SA and DPN. Thank you. Next slide. I'll skip the slide because uh, we've already uh, talked to it. The next slide. The next slide is about uh, prevention, which is critical. As much as it's led by Department of Higher Education, as a department, we also contribute. And we've got a number of advocacy campaigns that we are doing. We have a men and positive role model program, as well as men championing change. The, the, the reason why we're working with the men sector is because we believe that they will break the cycle of violence. We also have a number of pro activities that we are planning, the 100 days activities that will contribute to 365 days. And we also have Human Trafficking Week lined up coming in October as part of 100 days. We also have, we are also focusing on what is happening in institutions of higher learning. We've got uh, programs that addresses GBV and substance abuse. Currently, because of the situation that we are in of COVID-19, we are exploring using uh, campus radio stations, their websites, online student chat platforms. We also focusing on family strengthening as a prevention program. We do have family strengthening program as well as a family preservation program. Uh, Yolo and Zazi are some of the programs as well as Kimoja that we are using for social behavior change as well as prevention program that assist us to address uh, the sketch of gender-based violence and substance abuse. The next slide is a list of all those programs. Um, I won't go through it, but just to indicate that uh, we, they, we, uh, we've got partners, implementing partners that are assisting us in those communities. And we also have um, nine, we're reflecting all the nine provinces. And we also have uh, the districts where we are implementing these programs. Of course, not all districts are covered, but majority of the districts are there. The plan is that for the areas or the districts that do not have these programs, we are going to up, uh, coming up with a plan to upscale and make sure that they are, they are covered in all the districts. The next pillar is pillar three. It's on justice. It's, it's, it's on justice. They, we've already, I think the minister spoke about it, but just to uh, highlight here that as, as much as we are not responsible for the domestic violence as well as the criminal um, law on sexual offenses related matters, but we did make substantial contributions when they were reviewing it because it's affecting our victims. And what was also important here is that the sector was saying the current challenge with, the, with all the laws that we are having or the legislations that we are having is that if a, woman's, if a woman's body happens to be the crime scene, then the onus is on the woman to, to, to prove that indeed crime happened, unlike 
when a, a, a council is outside your body. So they were saying, whatever the legislation that we are coming up with or we are reviewing, we must ensure that we address that, that issue so that justice system can be uh, victim-friendly rather than what is happening currently. Next slide. The next slide is our pillar, pillar four. It's also uh, important to indicate, Chair, that what we are trying to achieve with this pillar is that we, we are trying to create safety net for women. We also want to also um, increase access to psychosocial services because psychosocial services are not available in all the areas. So that those are our areas of focus. We want to focus on that and make sure that that's what we are achieving, or that that's what we are going to achieve. But just to elaborate further in terms of what is this pillar stand for, the first part, it talks about strengthening the existing responses. The NSP does acknowledge that services are there, but what is not, what is not there is a, it's a comprehensive service that at the end of the day will make sure that we meet the, all the needs of the victims and the victim is healed at the end of the day. So it does acknowledge that we've got the shelters, we've got the tutorial centers, we've got the victim-friendly facilities and police station, but what we need to do is to strengthen those services and make sure that at the end of the day, they put the victim at the center. The second issue about this pillar is the issue of secondary victimization. To say uh, there's a challenge in the sector that a lot of victims are afraid to come forth and access the services because of they get they get victimized for the second time. So they call it secondary victimization. So this pillar, this, this pillar is there to fight the issue of secondary victimization to make sure that at the end of the day, we eliminate it completely. The third one, Chair, is looking at uh, making sure that the victim feels supported and the victim is able to access the issue of uh, psychosocial services so that at the end of the day, they can experience healing and um, total recovery. The last one talks to um, building relationships. It, it says, Strengthen the community-based relationships because these issues, they're happening at a local level, at a world base. So whatever mechanisms or, or, or measures we're coming up with, we must make sure that really the, 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 we build that capacity at a local level. And furthermore, it also says, as we are addressing the gender-based violence, we also need to look at the how substance abuse and HIV drivers of gender-based violence. Our programs must also address these uh, challenges. Next slide. The next slide, a chair, just to summarize because of the time. What is important here is the issue of the psychosocial services. Like we said that we want to make sure that it is everywhere. So we, we, we are focusing on it and we are also strengthening the services that we are currently providing. We are using the, the command center is one of the vehicle that we are using to provide the psychosocial services as the acting GG has alluded to, to say, it's one of the areas in the literature is saying, we need to invest more on this because a, a victims find it easy to use, it's convenient, uh, it's anonymous, it has many reasons why people want to use uh, the helplines. The other thing, Chair, we are also looking at 
dedicated social workers who specializes in trauma. We have invested on that and we will continue to invest, to invest on that to train more social workers at a local level that are going to provide trauma counseling. We have deployed some of them to Juzela's uh, centers. We have deployed them in victim-friendly uh, police stations. We have also deployed them in our DSD uh, facilities. Of course, not all the police stations have those social workers, but what we did, we looked and we have prioritized the areas that have high prevalence of gender-based violence with a plan of phasing in more and more social workers. Next slide. The next slide is about, um, we just demonstrate the, the, the command center, the figures that, uh, the calls that we dealt with before, when we, before lockdown and during lockdown up to now. So, so far we have received 13,521 calls as well as the please call me 2.8 and as well as SMSs. And after the, after, during lockdown from the 27th up to, to date, uh, we have received 83,787. So, and the number goes on. So of course, there's a significant increase on the number of calls that we have received. And um, the calls, not all the calls share, they are for GBV. Of course, I would say maybe 50% of the calls they were related to GBV cases, whereas the other 50% is for other issues, like it was for information. People were phoning, requesting information around social relief of distress, how to go about and looking for information. So there was that balance, but we did witness high levels of calls during that time. People were traumatized and they needed someone to talk to. Next slide. The next issue that uh, we are also focusing on on this pillar is the issue of capacity building. The training of the social workers to deal with the issue of trauma is quite uh, critical, especially the frontline workers. Uh, the issue of family strengthening, we've already spoke about, we said we've got a parenting program, we call it Seal of Will. It's one of the programs that we're implementing in all our, in seven provinces, except Houting and Western Cape, but there are plans to make sure that they also have that plan. We also have family preservation programs, reunification services to address all the challenges that families they are contending with. The next slide. The next slide is the, is the, is the slides on strengthening the civil society because as the minister has alluded to this fight, we cannot fight it alone. We really need uh, the CSOs to be on board and we support them. So there was an allocation of 100 million that was, was, was granted by cabinet from the recovery asset, uh, uh, um, recovery asset um, account. And the purpose was to strengthen the NGOs. That's exactly what we did. We did it with the support of the NDA. 95 million was allocated to all the NGOs and uh, 5 million was earmarked for mentoring and coaching because we realized that imagine organizations that are struggling with, um, they are struggling to access services and also to comply. So therefore we said in order not to set them for failure, let's also have mentoring and coaching as a program that will support them. So in total 100,000, that's what we, we that, that's the allocation we received. The applications, we had about 312 applications from the NGO sector and 131 CSOs have been paid their first tranche and they are waiting for the second tranche. Next slide. 
Um, let's get, this is just a, a, a list of all the capacity building uh, programs that we have exposed our frontline workers. All in all, 525 frontline front, front workers were trained on GDP related um, Next slide. The next slide, Chair, is a Women's Month activities that we have. This um, activity, we keep on updating it. There are many more activities that the minister and the deputy minister will be leading throughout. We've already started and will continue until the end of the day. First, in the interest of time, I'll skip all these activities. But suffice to say, we are currently rolling them out as, as we speak. The next slide is on pillar five. Next, we skip that one as well. Pillar five, next one, yes. Pillar five, as much as it's not led by us as a department, but we do contribute in terms of our shelters. We are uh, revamping our shelters chair. We are establishing a very strong development uh, aspect so that women, when they leave our shelters, they are able to be employable. So that's what we, we are doing currently. We're working with the Department of Labor as well as public works. Uh, pillar six is about research and information. We are working with DPME on this, looking at the research that we are currently doing so that they can inform our, our interventions. Next slide. The next slide chair is about the challenges um, that we are faced um, as a sector, not only as GSD. Uh, the first one is limited capacity of the staff within government departments as well as local government. That makes it difficult to address the issue of gender-based violence adequately. Secondly, the issue of inadequate funding keeps on, keeps on creeping up. It's a challenge that we are currently facing. Treasury has tried to, to increase our budget, but there's still not enough to address the issue of gender-based violence. Now there's a call that the private sector must begin to come to the party to contribute as well. There's also an issue of lack of accredited skills development programs in the shelters. Much as we've got shelters that are running, the challenge is to have the skills, the hardcore skills that are accredited by the CITAS. We are also working with CITAS to try and put in place uh, those skills development programs. The other issue is the psychosocial support services to make sure that they are accessible everywhere. The issue of um, multiple structures is uh, communities are complaining that we've got too many uh, structures that are happening that are all addressing violence. So uh, the, the, the NSP will help us to address that. Right. The last two slides share is about <coughs> game changers to say what is it that we think we can do uh, in the short term to try and address some of the challenges that <coughs> has been alluded to. First one is strengthening the referral path so that uh, we don't lose, uh, you know, the victims that don't fall through the cracks as they move from one service provider to the other. The second issue is the issue of uh, localizing the structures, that we've got a lot of structures at a provincial level and national, but the problems are at local and there's nothing at local. So there is an issue of rapid response teams that must be established as soon as possible so that they can link women to all the services that we are talking about. The third one is the upgrade of infrastructure. 
so that at the end of the day, we have a shelters that are accommodating the LGBTI communities as well as family units. Another issue is the issue of information, the database. Currently, we, we've got different, we, we have databases that are not linked to each other, and yet we are servicing one victim. So we are working uh, very hard with justice, subs, and, and, and NPA to link our system because we are servicing one victim. The other issue is the issue of government and civil society frontline staff. They need to be debriefed because of their handling traumatic cases and to also prevent the burnout. So it's quite critical that the, the debriefing program is there to, to, to assist them. The other issue is the capacity building that we need to continue to invest more on training our frontline workers so that they can prevent the secondary victimization that we alluded to. The next slide, it talks about the change that we require at all levels. Basically, it says for us to really make the difference, a fundamental change, all these areas must be covered by this NSP. It talks about at an individual level, what is it that must happen? At a family level, because this, this uh, incident is happening at a private uh, space level, what is it that families need to do in order for them to really um, uh, uh, receive the or receive benefits from the NSP? It also talks about relationships that between men and, 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 and their partners, relationships, how to build those relationships and make sure that they don't have toxic relationships. It talks about children that we need to to make sure that this plan also invests we invest on children they so that they're not victimized further it also looks at society and community level to say if we are saying that the, the nsp is working all these levels must attest to that and say indeed these are the changes that we have witnessed the last uh, slide check talks to recommendation. We are saying um, it is recommended that the portfolio committee take note of the density plan in implementing the NSP on GBV and femicide 20, 2020 to 2030, as well as the progress here that we have achieved and the challenges that we are needed to as a sector. And also we are saying uh, the, the portfolio committee notes that the minister is with the support of the, of the deputy minister uh, they are ambassadors of Pillar 4, and also to note that at a provincial level, the MECs of, of social development are expected to be the ambassadors of Pillar 4. I think you, Chair. Yeah, bo. Uh, Honorable members, uh, uh, DJ, do you want to say anything before we go for discussions? Uh, no, th thank you very much, Chair. I think we can go straight to discussions. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. I would like to say something, Chair, if you would right. allow me. Okay, Jim. Okay, Jim. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chairperson. There's just the two, three things that I, I feel um, were left out in the presentation that I'd like uh, members to just note. Um, the first one is we did um, uh, launch uh, the 0800-150-150 line in partnership with uh, South African breweries to actually ensure that services are accessed by men because we can't just say we're reaching out to men uh, in terms of them having dialogue, but 
it's 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 a WhatsApp line that men are able to reach out for uh, assistance without necessarily, you know, feeling embarrassed and all of that. And from the time that we launched it on Father's Day, which was the 21st of June, we uh, uh, 59,000 men have reached out and are into our support programs uh, that are linked to Takuani Rime Men and Boys Championing Change, who are going through you know, violence and who are victims of GBV as well as perpetrators. So I thought I needed to just alert the committee to that. It's 0800-150-150. And then um, I also needed, I wanted to add the issue around sheltering as well, just to add to what Cesar has said, and that the committee should note we have three different types of shelters so that uh, there's that understanding we've got the high secured shelters I um, think we have 13 of those. And then we've got your uh, commune, your long-term stay shelters. And then we've got your uh, wide door centers of hope that are community-based. Um, the, the security levels uh, differ based on the kind of um, the, the, the crime committed so that. Um, I And then the pink drive outreaches chairperson, because I just wanted to add that. Uh, to indicate that these outreaches that are referred to that we were leading are also to bring to effect the contribution of cancer to gender-based violence, especially the four cancers, which is prostate and testicular, cervical and breast cancer. Because they are linked to the bedroom chair, you know, the jewels of the family, they are the big contributors to gender-based violence. So in these outreaches, it's an integrated government outreach, but we also do SDSD part of our prevention uh, to make sure that men and women are actually uh, uh, tested and they get free services so that we, 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 we make sure that they are able to get uh, assistance. The last one is the sign language interpretation services that I think it's very important that the committee you is aware said, that, that. You said the three things, TM. I think you, yes. you are getting yeah, no, stamina now. That's, that's the last one. <laughs> okay. That is important. Before you ask us right. that, the command center is disability friendly, uh, even okay. deaf, uh, disabled women uh, uh, are actually accessing, um, even when they are deaf, they are accessing the command center services. We do have deaf uh, employed social workers in the in that one. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Jim. Uh, honorable members, I've got the following names in my chat. Honorable Nguenya, Honorable Abrams, Honorable Fandemerve, Honorable Aris, Honorable Manganye, Honorable Masango, Honorable... Bilankolo, Honorable Mvana, Honorable Anastasia Mtaong. I'm going to stick to a four minutes principle. It's even a lot, because I'm looking at the time at our disposals. Can we start with Honorable uh, Nguenya? Engos, uh, Engos Kakulche. I will stick to the four minutes. Whatever is left, I will do it in writing. Um, firstly, thank you very much for, for the presentation. Mine um, is mainly on pillar four, which I feel that uh, the DSD must make sure it is very important that they excel in this pillar and go above and beyond and make sure that uh, they bring change in, in, in the GBV and F 
uh, situation in this country. Um, firstly, I would like to ask, I've seen in the, in, in the presentation, if we can get, I know that uh, ADG touched on it slightly, but if we can get all the, the, the information on the CGE report, the, 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 the report that they, the study that they conducted on the challenges uh, that are faced by, by the shelters that they need to be looked into. Uh, secondly, I need to emphasize mostly on the GBV command center. Uh, I, I, I do commend them that they're looking into, the, they, they are disability friendly, which is very good. And I just want to com uh, stress and emphasize on the fact that it, it must not be just on, on, on receiving calls and, and, and collecting steps. We must be seen, the GBVCC must be seen to be very reactive and very responsive to the calls of these women that we are able to come and say, the GBVCC, these are the calls we got. This was the response that we did. These are our referrals, and this, these are the follow-ups we made in terms of the GBV, so that we know that the GBVCC is making uh, changes within uh, the, the, the issue of, the G, of, of gender-based violence and femicide. I cannot stress enough, I've always stressed this in the meetings, Chairperson, we need centralized database. It is very important that in this country, we learn the, the, the skill of centralizing data because that will assist us so much in dealing with so much things, DSD, health, police, education. If we can have a system that collects all the data and it is centralized for every department to be able to access uh, uh, that. Also, I would like to request the MECs of every provinces, uh, if it is possible, uh, Minister, that as it says on the on the report, on the presentation, that they, they are ambassadors of the GBF uh, programs within their provinces. Therefore, it would be nice to have them now and again to come and tell us what is happening in their provinces, the strides that they are taking, and they are uh, uh, proactive uh, 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 programs that they are doing within that. We note the challenges uh, no, uh, noted in the presentation of the NSP and we think, I think that we need to dwell on that so much and see what can be done at a later stage. So I will send those in writing to make sure that I, I give my, my two cents uh, contribution on those, on how we can assist. And on pillar four as well, on pillar three, I just need to find out. Uh, I, I, I heard that DSD made a contribution on, 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 on the VSS bill. I would just like to find out that what was the contribution of, 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 of the DSD on that bill. And uh, I also want to know the contribution made by DSD on the amendments of Domestic Violence Act and Criminal Law on Sexual Offenses Related Matters Act. And the timelines, if possible, on the policy on sheltering services and the policy of provision of psychosocial services. How are they going to do it? When do they think that we will have that policy in place and implemented? There is a lot, Chair, but I will stop there and I will send others in in writing. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Abrams. Um, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the department for the presentation. Um, Chairperson, my my questions, the statements goes around 
what the minister said earlier, and in that we'd like to see the impact of the work that we're doing on the ground. And in this portfolio committee, we speak a lot about asking how is the programs and interventions impacting and whether we can measure this. And I'm happy that the deputy minister gave us something in that 59,000 men are currently, have accessed the WhatsApp line, are currently now in the DSD programs. So my question then is to go a step further and ask the department, can we not then get the information and the data on of the women who access the command council? How many of those women are then successfully removed from their violent situations? How many of those women are successfully placed in our DSDVP programs? How many of those women that come through the command council get placed in our shelters? You know, and once again, how many of the men are in the programs and in the family strengthening programs? Because it's it's very good and well to have these presentations where we discuss the policy frameworks and we discuss what um, services there are. But we need to start looking at the second part, um, which we never quite get. And that is the actual data on the impact that these these programs are having because when we look at our annual crime stats it almost feels that these programs aren't having any impact because the numbers keep getting higher and if the numbers are keep getting higher then we there's something there's something amiss that we're not doing that we're not doing right and then also um chairperson then then maybe the question should be is can the department provide the committee with a more comprehensive report on the data and the challenges and the successes, and not just um, because also before they would give us the total of the GBV calls, uh, of the total calls coming through to the command center, but then they would also break it down and give us the, the numbers of what is not related to GBV and what is related to GBV. And then to go a step further, because since we are talking about the impact of alcohol on GBV, can we not get the, the stats and break it up a bit further in that what were the calls between the ban on the alcohol under the certain levels and when the ban was lifted, and then again when the ban was reintroduced, and now once again the ban is lifted, because it's only through the actual evidence and the data can we see real impact. So um, I just would like to know if we can get that information. Um, and another stat that would be useful is how many of these women are repeat callers? You know, what is the stat on the repeat callers of women calling into the G command council? And then lastly, um, chairperson, under pillar four, um, the, the slides speak about um, um, women accommodation beyond the shelter. And I just want to find out if beyond the shelter means a half, halfway houses and if that's included in any way in the um, new victim support services act. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Abrams. Uh, Honorable Fandamava. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. And yes, thank you very much to the department, uh, the minister, the deputy minister for the presentation. And I would like to agree with uh, the Honorable Minister that this can definitely never be a political issue and that we must all unite uh, to fight gender-based violence. Um, 
I would like to start with the issue that I've raised before, Chairperson, and that is that um, there seems to be a problem, and I, and I would like to get um, some thoughts on this from the Minister and the Deputy Minister about what is going on in the Eastern Cape. You would have seen, we spoke about Lisa Vetten um, in the introduction, but um, there seems to be quite a serious problem with regards to payments, with regards to uh, the Eastern Cape and payments to their non-profit organizations, which affects not only, um, for example, women's shelters, but also old age homes. So um, I also know that there's been short payments to various organizations in other promise, uh, provinces like Limpopo, Mpumalanga, and the Northwest. But um, have you been able to establish what, what the problem is? Because the fact of the matter is we cannot have plans and programs again that aims to fight and deal with gender-based violence, but then um, when we need to refer women um, that are in, in, in desperate need for help to shelters, they find themselves on the doorstep of a shelter that's that's not received the, the funding that they need to be able to assist women and children in need. So I need to get an indication in that regard. Um, the ADG did speak about um, shelters, the importance of shelters, and he did mention that shelters have been complaining about um, funding is not uh, streamlined or, for example, in some instances, a shelter might be getting a, a stipend from government that's 10 rand while another uh, shelter might be getting a 50 rand. How long will it take for you to be able to streamline um, the stipends? Uh, so the policy timeframes, which the Honourable Nguenya also spoke about. I would like to also um, emphasize on what the Honourable Nguenya and Abrams have said in terms of the call centre. I think we've made this plea on numerous occasions that when we speak, for example, about that 102,000 um, uh, calls, SMSs, uh, interactions that we've received to the call centre over this lockdown period. At least there we need to see a breakdown in terms of uh, calls received, how many of these were uh, serious enough cases that they were, you know, X amount of these calls were referred to shelters, X amount of these uh, calls referred to somebody being uh, treated in hospital, X amount were referred to uh, to the police for investigation, and X amount is, for example, in front of the court currently. Because I think when we when we look at a number like that, without having proper details and proper information in terms of uh, the logical follow through, you know, whether any of these people have really gotten the assistance, the help that they needed, that information will remain um, not not too useful for us. Um, again, I would like to ask the, the CARA funding. I'm a bit confused because in our last meeting, I remember when President Ramaphosa announced um, this funding, I, I, I thought he promised 200 million. I was later corrected to say that he promised 50 million, but today the minister is speaking about 100 million that um, has been allocated to the NGOs. I need to also ask whether all of the NGOs have received their stipends um, and whether we can be given a list um, of NGOs that will be benefiting from this, this GARA funding. And um, just to link again to the issue of proper data, we, uh, we, we spoke, um, you know, about having proper information in terms of uh, the logical follow-through. But, for example, in these pil pillars, we speak, to, we speak to the issue of not only sheltering women, but then giving them access to job opportunities um, and skills training, and I think as we progress in terms of this uh, national strategic plan, at a later stage when we come back, when you come back as a department, you also need to report to us, for example, um, 
this this you know this woman was removed uh, went to a shelter was taught a skill um and has been successfully rehabilitated maybe in another community or she's received a Your skill time is up okay <laughs> i'll wrap thank up you. but if we can if we can All see right. that that type of information uh, going honorable forward thank you Aris, honorable Aris, thank, honorable yeah, Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Good morning, Chairperson. Morning, Minister. Good morning, uh, Honourable Aris. Yes, good day. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chairperson, um, victims of gender-based uh, GBV experience high levels of post-traumatic stress. And I have noted in the presentation that they say they have a helpline um, that offered services. But what about those people that don't have access to technology? And um, is that the only services that we rendered to these people? And then, Chair, the shortage of shelters in this country is used. But apart from that, there's a need for multi, the multi-sectoral post-GBV facilities, uh, shelters, um, to work uh, with survivors and victims because um, when people get out of these shelters, there's no post-GBV uh, uh, post facilities for these, for these people. And then in Pillar 4, Chairperson with Women, um, the program for August month, I've, I have noted, is, is mostly digital. My question is, what about the people in the deep rural areas that don't have access to these uh, technology TVs, I did see DSTV and all these things. What about that? What programs do we have for those or how will we reach that uh, people? Then I've also seen, I didn't hear that you said the Department of Public Works because this GBV is not only a DSD program, but it is a multi-departmental program because apart from that, the Department of Public Works have the facilities as we said to the shortage of shelters that have the facilities where we can, uh, uh, you know, work with them to get access to to their buildings to 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 bring up more shelters because that's 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 a big uh, problem in the country. Then, in terms of the educational plans, I did hear they say the Department of Higher Education are also on board, but yes, we need the Department of Basic Education also, because educational programs, we need to get this in the in schools, and it must start from a primary level, that where we start to educate our learners on the importance of GBV and self-respect and respect to others. And then, Chairperson, we must not only talk about GBV, we must give it a name, we must, give, we must come up with a slogan for that. I have written an article in Palestine they have this thing, they call it, my body is my property, where all women are wearing bracelets they, that said, my my body is my property, to, to, to create that awareness, you know, that the, that, that, that women are, are, uh, need to wear these bracelets. And then in terms of programs, uh, we need to come up with programs like Honorable Liesl van der Meer was saying, we need to come up with programs where we must empower this woman that the, the woman stop being dependent on their partners because then that's where they become the victims of uh, this gender-based uh, uh, violence. And then also, Chair, 
in terms of, I, I didn't hear that you say that we also have the Department of Labor, apart from physical abuse. For the first time, for the first time, worries, for the first time, you speak beyond your time. It's unusual. Sorry, just this last one. In terms of the workplace, because women are also suffering mental abuse from their co-workers, their employees, and that's also things that I would see that we, we address. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you very much, Chair. I must also thank the department for this uh, presentation. Uh, I just want to uh, uh, ask uh, or make a comment. I was happy when I hear Linton and Polile uh, mention uh, the shelters. Uh, my recommendation is that about the shelters is that maybe sometimes when NPO or NGO applies before it can be uh, given a go ahead, the national that receive the application must also include the local authorities that they should look at the that particular building. Sometimes we give them the go ahead. Little did we know that they don't even have the shelter. The shelter, if they have, is also danger to itself or to the beneficiary. So my recommendation is that while we want this NGO and NPO to be around, let's assist them because some of them really, they are struggling about the structure. Uh, noting that uh, the department is currently busy developing a policy on provision of psychosocial service. How does this policy seek to address the need to permanent employ, unemployed social uh, welfare who are, who are needed so badly uh, around uh, our community. How are they is going to uh, support? Uh, my second question, Chairperson, I'm sorry for that. My second question, what measures are in place to ensure that the challenge reflected in the Commission of Gender Equality report on the state of shelters are urgently and adequately addressed? How do the contribution made in CGE report contribute to the national strategy plan? Chairperson, uh, as uh, we, we, we are not only complaining, but uh, trying to come up with some of the issue. I think uh, uh, the department have uh, this strategy, I think it's have come with uh, good plans and good intention. But um, just saying upfront that if, uh, like uh, Honorable Nguenya have said, if MECs can be part and parcel, because some of the issue really, it needs them that they should tell us if these things, they are supporting all these uh, uh, people who are doing their level best to support our people or to assist our people. 
Maybe in future, because we don't have land as the social development, whereby we have, we are using the SAPC, SAPS uh, building. Maybe we should have this portable, because some of the building really is not user friendly. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Mangarnia. Uh, Honorable Masango. Thank you, Chair. Um, I'm just sorry that I can't show my video because my connection is quite weak. Uh, we know, we know your so. picture. We know your picture. Don't worry. No problem. Thanks, Chair. <laughs> I just want to uh, uh, agree with. Uh, in fact, thank the department for the presentation and also agree with both you, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Minister, about the fact that uh, the fight and response against GBV is multi, is, is non-partisan, it's multi-sectoral, and it, it's something that we all have to fight uh, against uh, all together. I just am very excited uh, to see the, the pillars that have been presented here this morning, uh, this today, and, and just hope that the pillars don't become silos in practice, that all the leading um, departments of the various pillars work in silos and at the, in the process, the women are falling between the, 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 the pillars and they don't get the service that uh, is, being, is, being, is being done by the by the NS, the, 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 the NSP, I believe. And also, Chair, I see that, um, oh, I wanted to find out if the people, the NGOs, as we all work together on this, the NGOs uh, and the, and the uh, organizations, government uh, commissions, such as the Commission for Gender Equality uh, and the organizations like POA and all those that work in this sector, if there will be a time at any stage where we will get to hear as the portfolio committee what it is that they, you know, the, the strides that they are making in the work that they are doing in fighting uh, uh, gender-based violence and femicide. As far as the um, the database is concerned, I just want to to also add my 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 voice into this because it is proving to be such a challenge. And I I seem to have heard the the honourable minister some time ago saying that there was a partnership that was entered into that was going to this the partner with whom the department was working was going to help with this database situation and i just would like to know how far that process is uh, in in terms of actually making sure now that we don't keep saying we are working on on getting the database sorted out but where we are saying there is a database that is in place as it were as far as the 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 work that is being done the 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 the, the very amazing work that is being done by the command center in just also confirming is that one would like to know that that there is some aftercare mechanism of sorts that these women are not just phoning on the day and and are referred but that there is some kind of knowing whether they are out of that situation or they are working to get out of the situation in, in the process and also 
Chair, I'm just asking you if it's possible, especially now that we are having this, this uh, document that was presented today, to actually have a standing item or on GBVF like we are having with the with COVID, if that is possible at all. It's just my 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 um, request for that. I thank you, Chairperson, for your time. Thank you, Honorable Masango, uh, Honorable Icon. What has gone wrong now? Uh, it was Honorable Masango, am I right? Now, Honorable Mdau. Yes. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Um, you must see a doctor, man. I have said it yesterday. Okay. All right, proceed. Okay. Uh, what? What were the contributions? This one, I think, remember... I'm uh, going to touch on it. What were the contributions made by the department made to the Domestic Violence Act and criminal law on sexual offense related matters? Yeah. <laughs> related matters and to strengthen the question. But honor can't hear. Do you no 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 do you have to do this? I don't think you should do this to yourself. Okay. You must write yeah. Let's I don't think you have to chair. do this to yourself. <coughs> I think you must your... maybe the member can write the question. You can write and down and I uh, <gasps> will deal with it. Okay, honorable down. Okay, please don't do this to yourself. You okay. must actually look after your health. We need you here. Okay, sir. okay. Honorable, honorable stock. <coughs> honorable stock. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, let me also join my colleagues in welcoming the presentation of the department. Uh, let me also join my uh, colleagues in welcoming that good presentation. Uh, we also need to appreciate the kind of work that has been done by, uh, by, by, by both the Department of Social Development uh, as well as the Department of Correctional Services. We've also noted that there's a lot of legislative work done by the two departments. Uh, for an example, when it comes to Department of Correctional Services, the Cyber Crimes Bill, and then also on the social development side is the amendment of the Children's Bill, uh, which has been conducted to deal with GBV in the country. Uh, but my only concern, Honorable Chair, is that uh, uh, this work that has been done by these departments is not being consolidated into one approach. Uh, so from my side, I would like to find out what has been the progress in consolidating this legislative work into one approach so that we can have a single picture of the state of GBV in the country. We would also like to find out when can the joint committees expect a report in this approach, uh, if that is going to be possible to consolidate uh, the work of the two departments into one. 
How will also the two departments, the work of the two departments contribute to the implementation of the national strategic plan on GBV as uh, it has been highlighted uh, in terms of the six pillars? Uh, and then lastly, I would also like to find out as the department forced the partnership of the Department of Public Works in December 2019 as part of the emergency response plan on GBV. This is important in finding spaces for Kuseleka, one stops, and the wide door safety spaces for hope in six identified provinces. Uh, so it's, it's also important that the department takes us into confidence uh, about the progress in terms of this partnership. And then also as the process of formalizing the memorandum of understanding being finalized, and then what is the contents of that memorandum of understanding if it is there. And then also in relation to the six provinces that have been identified, uh, when will the remainder of the three provinces receive spaces for their own Kuseleka centers in the wide door safe spaces? Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Honorable Stork. Uh, can I come to the department? Uh, uh, you've got strictly 15 minutes, otherwise time is bad. Maybe, let's say up to quarter. Represent. Yeah, how did I miss you? Represent. Oh, how did I miss you? Okay. You were, no, 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 Honorable Bilangolu. Yes. You appeared here. I don't know who removed you. Tell that person to bring me back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speak now. And also, But you are not here, Honorable Bilangolu. No, thank, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, and good morning to the Minister, Deputy Minister, and everybody else in this meeting. Um, in acknowledging the research that has been conducted on the uh, impact of the GBV helpline, which depicts a picture of GBV victims who aren't willing to open cases and who experience a high level of post-traumatic stress, how does the National Strategic Plan on GBV advocate for the addressing of these challenges? Secondly, Chair, what has the research study gathered from the GBV helpline revealed in terms of the state of GBV in the country? And again, how has this research contributed to the intervention provided by the department in addressing GBV? How has it contributed to the input made by the department in the National Strategic Plan on GBVF? Lastly, Chairperson, I just want to check uh, from the department if sometimes one way or the other, if they do get the report from the justice system on how all the GBV cases are being handled across the country. Thank you very much, Chair. Oh, thank you very much. Honorable uh, Thanks, Chair. Mine are similar to the ones of Honorable Vilangul, but I'm interested to get uh, the information in terms of out of the revised budget adjustment vote, has the department ensured that its targets are in line with a national strategic plan. The last one, I think she has asked about the challenges that the department is encountering out of the budget that we have. 
then I would like to get the, the, the solution of those challenges that they are experiencing or Thanks, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Mbana. Uh, I know the minister expressed a genuine worry about the time we give to responses. Uh, I'll take a risk and say, can you take up until 10 to, Minister? Minister? Are we still together? Hey, Lindy, what happened? I don't know, because the minister is, I saw her picture, and Linton, I can see Linton. DJ. I'm also here, the uh, minister, uh, Chair. Can you guys respond up until 10 to? Yeah, I'm here, Chairperson. I think it's just a... Can I can I ask the department to to respond because there's very little time. We'll just come at the end of their response. Okay. Uh, I think Linton didn't uh, unmute. We cannot hear. Unmute through you, Chen. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Linton, where are you? I can see him. He's talking, but we can't hear him. Linton! Can somebody pinch him or phone him, do whatever? No, Chaperson, I can see him. He's on the screen. Uh, but I'm but not is, sure what's happening is, to him. Is he aware that we, we can't hear him? Because now I can't even see him. I can see him. Um, I can see him. I can see his gesturing and moving and talking. Oh, by but the way, we you, can't you, hear him. You are, using, you are using a different device. That's why you're saying. But the point I'm making is that uh, I can't hear him at least. Uh, can somebody respond? I can, to do can, something. Can, can, can the team take over those? Can you hear me out there? Yes, we can hear you. What was going on? Okay, thank you very much, Chair. I will ask uh, Caesar just to respond very quickly uh, to one or two of the elements, and then I will I will ask the CEO of NDA to also just speak to the current issue, and then I will um, uh, add one or two inputs very quickly. We'll make it in time. Okay, Susan. Okay, thank you, Chen. I'll respond on the issue of funding of CSOs, inconsistency of funding of the CSOs. That has been a challenge for some time, but now it's going to be resolved because we are waiting for the funding policy framework to be approved first. That will allow us to do the standardization. It has been done. It has been approved. It's a question of now um, seeking more funding to make sure that... Um, we also have adequate funding to fund because we're no longer going to fund per pro. We are going to fund per program rather than an item or the way we used to fund. So that issue is going to be resolved. 
The issue on the states, yes, of course, it is a challenge. The, the states at the stage that uh, we've got data, we don't have an electronic database system. We, we, that was the problem. But now the problem is, is resolved because we've got an IJS program, uh, intersectoral justice system program that we are benefiting from. They are assisting us to put the systems in place. We had to agree as all the sectors to say what are the indicators that we are all going to be reporting on and to also give each other access in terms of their system. For us to access subsystem, subs access our system. That process is done. It's a, we, are, we are about to, to roll out the system. We are waiting for the gadgets uh, to be roll, to, to be um, uh, distributed in provinces. But the system, as I speak, is readily available. We just have to migrate from the paper base to an electronic system. Okay, and then there, there were questions around the policy. Uh, the, yes, we have developed the policy, we are developing the policy on psychosocial services. The intention of the policy is to address the provision of psychosocial services, not to, to, to deal with the social workers as the people that are, that are doing that. But the policy is there to you know, regulate the space because currently we don't have a policy that regulates the space of how do you provide psychosocial services. And we've got a lot of players within the space and because the space is not regulated, it becomes messy. For instance, we've got Abafundisi who are providing trauma counseling. We've got healers who are providing trauma counseling. We've got volunteers who are providing trauma counseling. We've got professionals, social workers, psychologists who are providing trauma counseling. But there is no framework that guides how this activity must be done. So we needed the policy to deal with that space so that we know who are the players, who does what, and who gives over to who. So that's what the, that, that's the intention of the police. The, the other issue is the, there was a question around the intersectoral, intersectoral shelter policy to uh, the timelines. It is a target that is on our APP. We are chasing that target. We are going to achieve it in this financial year. And we are on track with it. The, the question on uh, the command center, I think for command center, we will add, we appreciate the inputs, we will add those elements because the command center, the way it was conceptualized, it was just a phone-in service where we refer, we'll provide the counseling services immediately. Thereafter, if a person needs follow-ups or more sessions, we then refer to a, uh, to a service that is available at a local level. But um, I hear what uh, members are saying. We will see how we build the, the system to make sure that we do you know, follow-ups. We can actually track a victim and say what transpired after a victim has access services from us. Yeah, that's the last one is on the Kuselekas. It must be the uh, last one, Yes, the Kuselekas, the question was around what about the three Kuselekas? Why are they not here? Because we only refer to six. The three, they already have the Kuselekas. We've got Kuselekas in the Mpopo, Northwest, and Eastern Cape. The six provinces that do not have Kuselekas, those are the ones that we are currently targeting and we are working with public works to ensure that they do have their own Kuselekas at the end of the year. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Maybe Thank just, you. Three, just three things, Chair, from my side. One, there's been a lot of uh, comments this, this morning or this afternoon around data um, uh, from the Gender-Based Command Center. Let me just indicate that we've now moved to a new premises, which is much bigger, um, and we'll be able to accommodate a little bit more of our staff. Uh, and uh, what...
we want to do is we want to have a command center in the true sense of a command center with big screens that you're able to uh, to tell what's happening across the country in real-time data, um, uh, providing real-time data rather. So we, expand, we have expanded that and we hope that uh, we'll be able to invite this committee to come and view the center very soon, uh, as soon as we have everything up and running. Maybe just to respond to um, Honorable Abrams' question around um, uh, the impact of some of the work that we're doing and uh, determining the challenges and successes. We want to um, look at, an implement, uh, at implementing an evaluation um, uh, or an, imp an implementation evaluation study to see um, what are the lessons we can learn and what impacts we're having on the ground. That will also assist us in informing uh, future policy making. But maybe also to respond to the issue of um, um, uh, member Adri's um, yes, indeed, there's a shortage of shelters. Um, it continues to be a challenge. Uh, we've highlighted on slide number 10 some of the uh, districts, which include some of the rural areas um, that we are uh, that we have shel shelters in. And maybe in terms of Honorable Fanamaraba's uh, question around the Eastern Cape. Um, so we're meeting the provinces uh, tomorrow uh, to further get a sense of what are some of the challenges around the payment uh, of NPOs. I know that some of the challenges in some provinces has largely been attributed to uh, the impacts of COVID. So uh, some of the um, uh, the colleagues were not able to go to the census to go and verify indeed that this is taking place and so on and so forth. So that has caused a bit of a stir um, uh, because they were not able to move. There was a strike also. Uh, we advised the Eastern Cape around this. Uh, and uh, some of the staff, uh, I'm also told, uh, have uh, that normally process this work have uh, uh, succumbed to COVID-19. But these are areas that we are, are taking up with the provinces to see how best we can assist in terms of improving um, or speeding up the payment rather. Thank you, Chair. I'm done. Uh, is the department done? Uh, I would then ask the minister and the deputy minister, but maybe the CEO, um, uh, sorry, the deputy minister first, then the, then the minister. But I think the CEO may want to talk to the cutter funding. Just the amount uh, to confirm the exact amounts. That's it. You've got many CEOs. Which CEO? CEO of NDA. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon, <laughs> Minister. Good afternoon, Minister. Good afternoon, CEO of NGA. Uh, I, I need to respond to um, uh, Honorable Abrams in terms of the figure. Indeed, it's 100,000, and the breakdown of the 100, uh, 100 million, uh, pardon me, 100 million breakdown, it's 45 million as per MOU that was signed with the department. 45 million was the first tranche for us to get started, as you might know that we started in January. And uh, the second tranche will be uh, as when we produce a report from the first tranche. The five million will be for administration work that has been implemented by NDA since the, uh, the start of the program. And as we see today, 131 uh, NPOs or civil society organizations have benefited in terms of transfer to the value of 17.4 million. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, uh, Minister. Yourself and whoever else, you've got 10 minutes to close, or five. Okay, 10, right? Minister? Chairperson, I'm not sure if the DM wants to say anything. DM? Okay, sorry, Chair, yes. Um, thank you, Minister. Just two things. The, the question around the legislation in terms of the Domestic Violence Act and the... Um, what is the other criminal? I, I will send the detailed inputs of the department as we made them at the JCPS. But just to indicate it was more improving, Chairperson, things like your protection orders and how um, justice is supposed to deal with that.
the issues around the consolidation in terms of child marriages and the, the issue around statutory rape, um, the issues around uh, sheltering becoming a core and the rating thereof. But we, we made it at the last time, we will make the detailed document so that when these pieces of legislation comes to parliament, then the members can actually get. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Minister. Thank you. Minister, you don't have to yes, take sir. the entire time. You don't have to no, take no, the I entire won't. time. I won't, but you are taking away my time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chairperson. Just a quick one. Um, I think okay. I want to take it from where the, the DM left to say that part of what I think needs to happen is for the members to be aware of how we work um, at an executive level through the other coordination, through other clusters like the JCPS and other IMCs and so forth. It might be a good idea for us to make that presentation um, in writing so that people are aware of what else do we do that supports this. I've always said um, to the department that the work that's done by the minister and the deputy minister sometimes gets lost because the focus is always about the programs of the department, and yet both the DM and the minister sit in other structures of government to make sure that this happens. The second one is for me uh, to say that um, I think I've said to the department many a times that part of what becomes a problem, uh, even when the, the, the members have to do their oversight, in many instances, the members don't see anything that is related to the work that they are doing, even in their own constituencies. So it's important for us as a department to have that interest. Where are the constituencies of these members? What is happening there? Do we have the same programs that we are talking about? Because now we are really wanting to focus on the district development model. And so that might even help us. I'm not saying that we'll only go to the constituencies of the members, but I'm talking even beyond the members of the committee itself. All the members who are in parliament have got constituencies. And the best way is for them to see some of the services that we are talking about. Then they can be able to uh, do an oversight even in their own constituencies. Otherwise, Chairperson, I think um, the questions have been answered. Um, and this work continues. I'm fine with it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you very much, Minister. Uh, I think my last words which don't need the immediate response is that uh, the, the area of challenges that is articulated is an area that maybe next time we should have a sense what's going to be done about them. Your skill shortage is in an area where your psycho, social trauma counseling and so on. And all those challenges, coordination, access to this, to those services and funding and so on. Because you, if that is not addressed, it means they are there just as a formality. But thank you, Minister, at this point in time. Uh, now we need to move to the next item. Uh, Minister, your team need to stay on this one. Uh, doctor, is it Dr. Harris? It's Dr. Harrison, yeah. How long, how much time do you need, Dr. Harrison? Uh, I do need 20 minutes. I think this is a critical component. 20 minutes. Yo, 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 yo. Uh, because under any circumstances, you must close at... Uh, ah, no, it's fine. It's okay. Go for it. Uh, until five past uh, two. Am I right? Yes. Yes, yes that's correct, Chairperson. Proceed. Uh, 
Are you related to Kala Harrison? Or is it Kala Harris? Not Kala Harrison. Okay, fine. I'm related to Karen Harrison. Um, Chairperson, let me let me start. And uh, firstly, uh, good afternoon to. You will you will start by introducing yourself. Yes, exactly. Um, so good afternoon, uh, Chairperson and, and Portfolio Committee members, Honourable members, uh, as well as the Honourable Minister, Deputy Minister, um, and officials. Um, I'm I'm David Harrison. I chair. I I'm the CEO of the uh, DG Murray Trust, which is a South African foundation committed to developing South Africa's potential. Um, just just uh, just for some context, we work with the Department of Social Development quite a lot in terms of early childhood development and um, and nutrition. Uh, we support initiatives um, such as Elifa Labantwana, Smart Start, Grow Great. Um, so that's 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 really our uh, our engagement. Um, today, I I really want to be focusing on what we can do over the next six months uh, to make a significant impact in terms of gender-based violence and, and some of its associated harms. Um, and in this regard, I'm, I'm joined just to say, I just want to acknowledge Dr. Charles Parry and Richard Metsopoulos uh, from the Medical Research Council, uh, as well as Sanazo Mkwelo, my colleague at, at DGMT, who may, uh, as specialists, uh, come in and answer any of the questions um, afterwards. But if I may just uh, proceed, um, yes. So, so, so this is a this really uh, arose out of a letter that um, we wrote, and uh, I signed on behalf of uh, 164 uh, signatories, um, academics, researchers, civil society, some government officials, um, as well as some signatory organisations, uh, really in response to the gender-based violence crisis and saying that if we really are going to make a significant impact, we have to address the issue of alcohol um, and especially the excessive, um, the excessive use of, of alcohol. That's, that's probably one of the most significant impacts that, that, we can, uh, th that we can make over a relatively short period of time. And, um, and as we'll see, we identified five specific um, uh, five specific interventions that have been shown to work the world over that are implementable at low cost that should be implemented in South Africa as a matter of urgency. And just in framing this, we, we have to acknowledge that the alcohol industry plays a positive role in our economy. Um, the figures I use are fairly dated now, but I use them because the South African Treasury has done a review. So these are their own figures. Um, as well as, um, as as comparative figures of harm that we have from studies done by Dr. Perry and and and, and Dr. Matsopoulos. So 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 let's acknowledge right away um, that uh, alcohol has an economic benefit, but it's absolutely crucial, and this is what we're talking about today, that we understand the the, the that uh, that this is a calculus, that there are benefits, that there are very significant costs. Um, that have to be addressed. And, and we're talking here today about gender-based violence, and, and let's just be specific there. Um, the studies that have, have done show that alcohol um, is a factor in at least 40% of rapes in terms of the, the, the reports of perpetrators who've been caught. About 40% of, 40 of them say that alcohol played a factor. Um, 
when we have a look at femicide, women who have died in, at, at post-mortem, um, uh, uh, alcohol in the blood uh, was a fact in 61% of cases. So, so a very, very fundamental uh, exacerbator of, uh, or aggravator of gender-based violence. Gender-based violence is about men, how they act, what they, uh, what they think, what they do. It's about power, but it is severely uh, aggravated by alcohol. And if we're going to prevent and start to reduce the rate of, um, uh, of, of violence, reduce the incidence of violence against women, we have to get to grips with this. Obviously, it's, this is not only about gender-based violence. Um, alcohol is a major cause of excess mortality in South Africa, uh, 60,000 deaths a year. That's about one and a half times that of, of COVID. Uh, obviously, we know the relationship between traffic accidents and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as well. So, so as the committee tries to develop an approach to handle this, it's really important that, that we don't sort of get stuck in a very sort of polar, polarized relationship between those arguing for the benefits and those arguing for the costs. We've, we've got to understand uh, and weigh up uh, the benefits and the costs. And studies that have looked at the, uh, economic uh, the, the economic benefit versus the cost show that if you just look at tax revenue um, as versus the direct cost to the fiscus of, uh, of alcohol harm, you could say that in fact, the net benefit is a positive one. If you start to look at the other spin-offs, the employment, tourism, and other spin-offs, um, uh, and, and you add up on the other side the cost of loss of earnings, you could say, okay, we're more or less still heading in the right direction, benefits out, uh, outweigh costs. But the moment you start to look a little bit broader, when you look at the productivity loss, losses to the society from absenteeism, when you look at the, if you assign any sort of value to life and to health in the country, we have a situation in South Africa where the costs associated with alcohol harm significantly outweigh the benefits. And one of the reasons why this, this is such a massive imbalance is that we have a massive culture of heavy drinking in South Africa, and that's what we have to confront. I've talked only about economic benefits, but what about the social benefits uh, and costs of the alcohol industry? And, and, and this, 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 I think, is where this committee's uh, commitment and the fact that gender-based violence has now become a national priority really emphasizes the fact to us that government is saying that no longer can personal enjoyment of individuals can socialization and camaraderie that is put up as a positive uh, benefit of alcohol, no longer can that be unlimited and at the expense of women and children who are being abused. So I alluded to the culture of heavy drinking in South Africa. And let me just show you what I, what I mean. If you, look at the middle, if you look at the middle column, um, which is the per capita consumption per drinker of pure alcohol in South Africa, and you see that the, that the average drinker in South Africa drinks uh, five units a day or, or, or twice as much alcohol, pure alcohol, um, as, as the world average, and about one and a half times the rest of Africa. 
we have we have a problem that is as bad as Russia, as as bad as as Belarus, and and sadly, if you have a look at the age breakdown, the percentage of those who drink who say they've drunk more than five drinks in the last month, look how look how severely biased it is towards younger people. 80, 85% of our of our young boys and men saying that they're already becoming acculturated, they're already heavy drinkers. And so we really need to get to grips with the problem of binge drinking, of heavy drinking in South Africa and understand why. And I don't have to tell you how deeply steep this is in the history of South Africa. The DOP system that, that is, was, is responsible for, for so-called cultures of heavy drinking among mm. sectors of our population. But also, let's not forget uh, the history of beer in South Africa, the, the dispossession of, um, uh, of, of, of from black women of the sorghum beer industry right back in, in, in 1928, the institution of these municipal beer halls. Um, uh, then the, the, uh, the, the use and the direction of profits from these beer halls um, uh, towards the Bantu administration boards. Uh, to, to ostensibly uh, upgrade uh, townships, but increasingly to fund the Bantu stands. This is the, the, these are the roots of the culture of heavy drinking in South Africa. And it comes through in terms of the econ socioeconomic gradients that we're seeking to address. If you have a look here, you can see that a far higher percentage of black and colored um, men reporting higher in incidences of binge drinking. Similarly, if you look at men who are employed for cash peace jobs versus uh, those who are employed but not for cash, um, a much higher percentage. And so this is the vicious cycle of social and economic marginalization that we need to break. Um, marginalization leads to heavy drinking, heavy drinking leads to marginalization. And this is fundamentally a social development issue. The burden of, of alcohol-related mortality as a consequent falls most heavily on the poorer people. Uh, the yellow are injuries, the blue are, are, are drink-related uh, incidents, um, and you can see that deaths in lower and middle socioeconomic uh, much higher proportion, um, much higher number uh, and proportion uh, among, uh, among poorer people. And so the bottom line is that the following national priorities are unattainable unless we curb heavy drinking, and we have to confront this. We will not achieve major reductions in mortality that, that results in 200,000 excess deaths in South Africa uh, if we compare uh, black mortality versus white, if we don't address the 50 or 60,000 deaths from alcohol. We won't address gender-based violence, and we won't achieve the type of progressive social development we're talking about. And so we're, we're really saying that the president has said we need to look at drastic actions to curb the abuse of alcohol. We're saying, no, you actually don't have to be drastic. We need to implement policies that have been shown to be highly cost-effective, feasible, implementable at low cost, that will, have a, that will create a virtuous cycle, that will have compounding benefits. And these are they. Firstly, the comprehensive ban on alcohol advertising, not on alcohol, on alcohol advertising. Increases in the price of alcohol, reduction in the legal drinking uh, uh, limits, 
reduce the, the availability of alcohol and increase access to counseling and testing. In the last 10 minutes, I just quickly want to go through the case for, uh, for each of these and why they're so important to, to view them as a basket that needs to come together. The case for a comprehensive uh, ban on alcohol advertising, and here we're saying a ban on advertising of alcohol, except at the point of sale, where it shouldn't be visible to those under 18. International studies showing that if you do that, if there's a comprehensive ban, you can get a 1.2 reduction in prevalence. Now, the point I want to make through all of these graphs is that if you look at these numbers on their own, 1.2% reduction, you might say, well, that's not that significant. But when you look at them together, when you put them all together, and when you look at their compounding effect over time, they start to have a significant positive effect. It's like the, the government of the Reserve Bank saying we're going to reduce the interest rate by 0.5%. It has a knock-on effect um, when we consider all the other aspects. And so here we see that, that learning from the international experience, learning from tobacco advertising, you can't do this piecemeal. If you want to be effective in terms of advertising, you need to put a comprehensive advertising ban in place. Piecemeal, uh, limits on TV, limits on billboard is simply not going to do it. In South Africa, we know that advertising harms adolescents. For each advertising medium exposure that adolescents in South Africa have, they're 13% more likely to, to drink. So that means if they're exposed to seven media platforms, uh, a different media platform, they're twice as more likely to start drinking early. And as you can see, they not only start drinking early, but they start drinking a lot. We've got a lot to learn from the success of the tobacco advertising ban in South Africa, where between 1993 and 2010, we saw a decrease from a third of our people drinking to a fifth of people drinking. And that happened in South Africa while the rest of Africa uh, was going uh, in the different direction. In terms of raising the price of alcohol, I don't really have time to go through this graph, but, but really just saying that there are two strategies that we need to look at. The excise price of, of alcohol in South Africa is in real terms now lower, much lower than it was in the 60s and 70s. Um, the, the excise price of tobacco has gone up, but, but excise prices for alcohol have, have not gone up to the same extent. So we have to push up those excise prices. We also have to um, look at other measures, um, something called minimum unit pricing, where we create a minimum unit below which a unit of alcohol cannot be sold. Because as we'll see in South Africa, this price differentiation so that the poorer communities are actually sold alcohol at a cheaper price. That's not on. When we look at the price elasticity of demand, in other words, if you increase the, uh, the, the uh, price of alcohol by 10%, how much, what percentage reduction do you see in alcohol consumption? Overall, we see about a minus 0.5 price elasticity of demand. In other words, lifting the price by 10% reduces alcohol consumption by 5%. So we have to, we have to find a way of using pricing as a way of reducing alcohol consumption. And, and, and as we know, uh, that it will have the biggest effect on heavy drinkers. So, so the second is to, uh, is to raise the price of alcohol. In South Africa, 
Um, heavy drinkers in South Africa, as I say, are paying five times less per standard drink than moderate drinkers. And introducing a minimum unit price will have the greatest effect on heavy and, and binge drinkers. So we need to do both. Look at that, look at that beer there. You can see that the big carton, the, th the one liter carton, the 750 mil is sold at a lower uh, unit price per alcohol standard, uh, uh, than, uh, than the smaller units. This encourages heavy drinking. I'm not going to talk much now uh, about the reduction in, in the legal limits of drinking and driving. There's a very, very strong case to be made for that. Another crucial area is reducing the availability of alcohol. And really three ways of doing that. One is to reduce the density of liquor outlets. Second is to reduce trading hours. And the third is to stop these, these big containers, one liter bottles of beer, five liter bottles of, uh, of wine. And, and we know that by reducing these, this availability can have a very significant reduction in, uh, in alcohol consumption. Finally, and we've spoken about this um, and we've heard from the department as well, we know that counseling, brief interventions, both for pregnant women can reduce fetal alcohol and for, uh, for younger, uh, younger people as well, um, putting in place therapeutic responses, counseling is absolutely vital to begin to break the cycle. So my last two slides, what, what I've shown you are five best buys that the World Health Organization says are the most significant and influential ways when put together of starting to reduce alcohol that will reduce gender-based violence. This requires an intergovernmental, interdepartmental strategy um, to, to put it all together. And I would argue that the, that the Department of Social Development is the key department that should be convening a, a, a task team to actually reduce uh, alcohol because, because of this, this cycle of marginalization, heavy drinking that we need to break. Then there's some current legislation that needs to be attended to. The control of marketing of alcohol beverages bill, I don't need to tell you, that's been around for 20, since 2013, never released for public comment. Um, we have to understand what it says in terms of uh, advertising. The Liquor Products Amendment Bill, again, um, some key uh, elements to it. As, uh, the limits on the uh, advertising, uh, the increase in the legal drinking age from 18 to 21, which is so crucial because the brain is developing as a teenager between 18 and 21, and our children are fry frying their brains by drinking so much alcohol. And then, uh, and then uh, prohibition on on liquor outlets. And then obviously the road traffic bill as well. These need, these need to come to the table urgently as a matter um, of, of urgency in reducing gender-based violence in addition to some of the other ills that we have in our country. So let's make some good come out of COVID. There's been this national, natural experiment that's shown, shown up the harms of alcohol. I've shown that South Africa's heavy drinking culture is rooted in the structural violence of apartheid. It requires structural intervention. What's not going to work, as we've seen, is a total ban on alcohol simply because it can't be sustained. Illegal industries will boom. Any sort of suggestion that the, that the, uh, that the alcohol industry brings to the table that we must appeal to the individual for responsible drinking is not going to work because socioeconomic circumstances are driving life choices. Industry self-regulation doesn't work. 
it worries me when I hear that the SAB, SAB is a partner or a contributor uh, to the WhatsApp line. I think we have to be very, very careful about um, uh, about the line that we have with the department and their in, uh, with with the uh, industry and their insidious invasion into uh, uh, into the role of of government. What could work is implementing these five strategies: best buy, value for money, uh, that could reduce mortality, gender-based violence, and social fragmentation. Yes, change will take time, but we can start now. And if we do it. Um, and if we do it in, uh, within the framework of a bigger commitment to, to addressing gender-based violence, we, we will achieve changes in the culture of heavy drinking, which will have a massive spin-off effect for social development. The time is now. Thank you, Chairperson. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Up front, there can be no debate that um, the pursuit of discouraging drinking alcohol is necessary. Effects are there, history is there to explain the damage. But doability can at times look easier said than done. And I think you are challenging us to in that manner that if we agree that these are the consequences of alcohol, this is what the alcohol is doing to humanity, and against the campaigns that we are trying to pursue, reducing GPV and the many other costs, you are tabling and challenging us that there's path. Where I'm sitting, I'm clear in my mind that you are, you are, you are correct. You are correct, uh, multisectoral, interdepartmental, and so on. And you are correct when you say social development must be the must show the main interest. Although social development, if you check, they deal with the consequences or, uh, or, 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 of what we call of alcohol. But I'm going to make sure that because before half past, you must be out of this place. I'll give not more than two minutes, even less if I can, to each member. Do members want questions? We, there's no way we'll go beyond 20 past on this thing. Honorable uh, Nguyenya and Honorable Ibrams, those are the only two members. I'm very happy about that. Honorable Nguyenya? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Harrison. I could give you the biggest hug right now. I feel so vindicated. We must thank COVID said. for that. We must mm -hmm. thank COVID for that. So I am very grateful for your presentation. I hope uh, the government listens and I hope DSD takes up the challenge, do whatever they can to help in this. My, my, my main concern is that when I'm looking at your stats, uh, is that with males, where 15 year olds already are involved in drinking, heavy drinking, 20 year olds. So it is true that this is killing our youth and it is important that we make sure that even the bill that is coming, that is on the parliament now of making sure that we ban the advertising, we should do that and make sure that advertising of alcohol, because it entices our youth. So we need to make sure that that's happened. So thank you very much, uh, David. My, my only concern right now I know that as DSD, there's nothing that much can be done, but as, as Chairperson has said, it is an interministerial uh, challenge and duty. What really concerns me is the fact mm. that there is of, of alcohol in our township. Every second street in our township has taverns and she bins. And I feel that 
the liquor board must also take a, a charge into this and stop giving out these licenses willy-nilly. Even in front of our schools, there's shippings, there's taverns. So I, it is just a comment that I wanted to make. I don't really have a question, but thank you very much for your presentation. And I truly hope that it brings the change that we need to see in our country, especially in terms of GBV, because it really is upsetting to see that women are suffering mostly with the children. The only thing that I hoped that you would show in your presentation in slide four, I was interested in knowing what the rape cases and the femicide, the percentage that you have put there that uh, I needed to find out the ages mostly, you know, on, 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 the, on the rape, the male, the 40% of males that have committed rape because of being intoxicated. If I can get the ages around that and the race around that, and the one on femicide of the women who were involved and that were found to have been drinking, if I can also have the race and the age around that. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you so much, David. Honorable uh, Abraham. Um, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Dr. Harrison, for the presentation and to all the other collaborators. Um, my my question to you is just, I'd like to know, have you discussed um, this um, presentation with the alcohol industry, with SAB, with other um, um, alcohol industries, the wine farms, et cetera, um, and what has been the input um, in it or comments on it? And has the, do you foresee a lot of resistance to um, um, your presentation? And then also I'd like to find out in your policy brief, you speak a lot about, you know, maybe piloting it or looking at it in the Western Cape. And I'd like to find out, have you taken this presentation to the Western Cape government, to the other spheres of government at local um, level as well. And then also of the 16 countries um, that you um, are basing this evidence on, are any of them um, developing countries with similar socioeconomic problems um, in situation like South Africa or are they all first world countries? And then also hypothetically speaking, if we could implement this MUP um, tomorrow, um, does your can your research tell us how long before will it be will it be months will it be years before we see um, some positive impact from this presentation? And now I understand that this is just the one aspect, and that you know it's it's a multiple whole of government approach to this um, problem that we're in. But then I also want to find out from you. Once again, a hypothetical question. If we increase the cost of alcohol um, and it's still not working, then we increase it again and we increase it again until we actually get the desired results we're looking for. Are we not then completely sidelining a group of um, South Africans who then just basically won't be able to afford to buy alcohol? Um, and how are we going to you know, mitigate against that? And then um, just, just lastly... Um, just a comment. I mean, I think COVID-19 has also showed us another side of South Africans in that this is supposed to be a deterrent from people buying alcohol. But we did see quite a few South Africans, you know, buying the higher illegal cigarettes and buying um, alcohol illegal at higher prices. Um, and you know, alcohol and drugs and substance, it's a disease on the one hand, but it's also... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I just want to make that point that, you know, it's this is not just a, a one-sided thing. Thank you, Chairperson.
Thank you, Abams. You are the last one I will stop. And then the minister will need to make the comments. No, Honourable just very briefly. Thank you very much. Just very briefly, Honorable Chair. Uh, I think we need to appreciate the the presentation by Dr. Harrison. Uh, it's a straightforward presentation. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't think we must actually open it up for any vulgarization of some sort. It's a straightforward presentation with clear recommendations, well done, well-crafted research. Uh, and I think we must be able to appreciate it and say, these are some of the solutions that we need uh, for government moving forward. And we really appreciate that. And uh, I don't think we must, at the risk of uh, sounding a bit irrelevant, uh, Honorable Chairperson, let's not play politics about uh, some of the solutions which are being presented to our people. Thank you very much. Thanks. Honorable Minister, do you want to make any comments? Thank you, Chairperson, and I wish to thank the Portfolio Committee for inviting uh, Dr. Harrison, um, and I thank him also for indicating the role uh, that has to be played by the Department of Social Development here. And I fully agree that um, the state at which we are in terms of consumption of alcohol and what it does is, is untenable now. And this is the time for us to seriously, seriously do something about it. I agree with the previous members who spoke about it. And I think that uh, the Department of Social Development has to have, um, uh, uh, not partners, but the Department of Social Development has to look for, uh, within cabinet itself, by the way, I think that we need to look for friends of the department when it comes to fighting this, because I don't even want to have uh, to make any arguments for. I want to make arguments for not because as he rightfully does, he goes to the historical background. How did we get to where we are? And we are failing to go back to the history. And I don't think that we should be a nation that is actually proud of how much we are drinking, how much. And I know that there's got to be the balance uh, as, as some others say, the economy and all that. But right now in this, and, and, and Honorable Mbanya speaking about what is happening in the townships, every street, and how many of these shibins and all that you have. The pride of men thinking that when they are drunk and they go home and the following day, they wake up in the morning, both men and women, and they gloat about how much they were drinking. They gloat about how they don't know how they got to this point and that point. This is a disaster for the nation, and we must step up. And I'm saying as a Department of Social Development, we really need to step up working with other partners to, to make sure that it is reversed. In the best way that we can, we have to reverse it. Everyone who's sitting in the room, we fear when the children are now teenagers, we don't know one day they're gonna come into the house drunk to stupor because in South Africa, it's no longer an issue of people just enjoying a glass of wine and a drink. It's binging and then the consequences of binging thereafter. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Minister. Uh, Dr. Harrison, I don't think there's a debate about the significance of what you're putting on the table. I think where I'm sitting, all the colleagues are saying it's a matter that should be responded to. Already the minister is taking the challenge to look at an executive level. Maybe they can call you to go and present there. And I think the portfolio committee will also have to go deeper into it. You may be called again. Uh, 
I think you are putting a journey, which I don't think anyone would actually say is, is, is not an important journey. Oh, uh, Dr. Nkosa Zana, in the 90s, when she dealt with the issue of tobacco, we thought it's something that could not happen. At that time, I remember, tobacco was costing not less than $7 billion from the point of health costs in South Africa. doesn't matter how people look at it. It reduced to a significant degree smoking in South Africa. doesn't matter how you look at it. Uh, because the fact, you know, when you are a smoker, you want to brag in the taxi, you want to brag in the train. When it, when all those things were stopped, uh, I mean, excitement from tobacco got reduced very significantly. So what I'm saying is that if it's got this cost to humanity, unless you want to make one or two comments for two minutes to mm. but we are going to attend to the point. The point is going to be attended to. And we're not going to say on this date at this time, but the principle is that is accepted that let's check if we cannot embark on this chain. Dr. Arzen? Chairperson, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate the response uh, from the committee and, and from the minister. And, and just to be clear, we're we're happy to help in whatever way. Um, there, there were 164 signatories on that agreement. Many of them are researchers or academics that have done the work. Um, in that petition, all of them put up their hands to be uh, to be of assistance. So we can draw on and, and we'd certainly be willing to convene and, and help convene um, a, a, a bigger group so that we can get the capacity to, to make this happen for, uh, fast. And, and um, just uh, back to the first honorable uh, member's question around can this happen fast? Well, Scotland introduced the minimum unit price uh, in 2018. Um, by 2020, it had showed a 5% reduction in, in heavy drinking. So, so it is possible. Um, yes, Western Cape government uh, is very much involved in taking the lead, but, but I think it's absolutely crucial that national government starts to do the same. Um, and, and no, we haven't approached the, uh, the, the liquor industry yet because I think it's very, very important that government and, um, uh, and academics and researchers first have a very clear strategy before they start embarking uh, embarking with the sector. Pricing, okay. you, pricing, okay. right. you cannot keep increasing pricing, but we have the, but, but what we can do here is have a, is have a balance where we're increasing pricing uh, to a level where we're not increasing, uh, increasing, increasing the risks. So, so just my final point, Chair, is that, yeah, is, is that, um, I would be delighted to work with the minister and work with the department and with the portfolio committee, bringing that full capacity to the table. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Uh, one, one simple point, for instance, we may look at, uh, call it a workshop, whatever, where the, the various experts come, the economists, tax experts, international co co com comparative studies, and so on. Because the South Africa cannot say we cannot explore the possibilities of discouraging alcohol consumption in South Africa and so on. I think that case is over. Thank you very much, Dr. Harrison. Uh, Lindy, quickly, COVID. We're not going to discuss it. We just need the, because we don't have time now. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Uh, you can be. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. 
we've got six minutes or seven minutes to deal with this uh, with COVID. Hey, DJ, <laughs> or minister, whatever. Thank you. It's just an update. Uh, We're not going to engage in discussion. I'll request members to to write questions and send them. You know, the department must respond quickly in writing on those. We don't have time. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, um, I'm trying to, to quickly share this. It's not allowing me to. Oh, there we go. Uh, thank, thanks, Chair. We, 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 will, we will just speak to the issues. Of course, we are now on level two. Um, and um, uh, with level two, um, we are looking at um, a number of other uh, areas that uh, we, we can we can consider uh, uh, reducing some restrictions on. Uh, I'm not sure if you can see the presentation now, uh, Chairperson. Yes, Chair, uh, but enlarge, enlarge, please. Oh, okay. the size of the, the, the... Okay. So, 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 um, really, the intention. You you can't enlarge. Uh, I can. I can, Chair. When I say enlarge, I don't mean the I don't I don't mean the print. I mean the size of the what you call. Thanks. Very quickly, we are uh, at level two, of course, as you know, uh, and basically what we're doing is we're encouraging um, uh, the sector and we continue to engage with them on a regular basis to ensure that uh, um, because we're on level two, the risk of infection still remain um, and they're still prevalent. And so we are saying to them that they, we, they must not let their guards down. It's fundamental. You'd recall, Chair, during the Spanish flu um, that... Um, the majority of people who died, died between uh, the second and the third wave. So we are saying the first wave is gone. We are heading to the second and the third wave. And our sector must ensure that they're not letting their guard down. We're benchmarking, of course, with a number of other countries to see the best practices. And we are looking at Brazil, uh, uh, USA, uh, Russia, uh, Botswana, and one or two other countries just to get a sense on what they're doing in that area. Uh, we're improving our communication uh, robustly so that the sector understands the impact of uh, what's happening uh, at, at level two. And of course, the way in which this works, Chair, uh, we, we provide, we get guidance from, um, from COCTA in terms of the areas uh, 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 that uh, will be restricted uh, or not restricted at various levels, and then we work that. So our directions are still to come, and they are to come after uh, another COCTA released uh, their uh, regulations on Monday. We are working on seeing how best we can manage that. I'll get to that very shortly. But just also we're engaging the sector and other relevant stakeholders before finalizing these uh, directions accordingly. Um, we just, I just wanted to make this point that uh, we're actually the 25th largest population in the world, uh, South Africa, uh, but we're the fifth highest infection rate. Uh, country has the fifth largest infection rate. Albeit we have very high recovery rates, uh, which I think this morning was uh, about 18, 82% uh, and um, very low death rates. Um, so uh, what we're asking ourselves around this is how big is this thing? And what, what is what is this saying around the fact that with the 25th largest population, we're beginning to look into some research around that and seeing what are some of the trends we can see along those lines. Um, lastly, not lastly, second to lastly, just to indicate that in terms of our facilities, you'd note that COCTA has indicated that the movement uh, and vis family visitations are now allowed, uh, and we're looking at the movement of children. These, again, are proposals. Uh, in terms of some of our facilities, old-age homes, um, we're seeing what we can do in terms of, uh, of, of, of opening up these areas, because if you if you recall, um, uh, the elderly haven't seen their families uh, for the past five months or so. And um, the fact that we're at level two, we don't know what's going to happen. 
uh, when uh, the, uh, um, the, there's an increase again in the next few weeks and we're told that in the next 10 days to 15 days, we should expect a, a serious increase of numbers again because we're at level two and a lot of uh, activity is underway again. So we're thinking that in terms of old age homes, we must look at how we can allow visitations because if old people fall sick at, at, at old age homes, the next place they're taking are hospitals. And so at hospitals, it's even worse. You're not even able to go into the hospitals. So we are concerned that the elderly are passing on without even having a chance to meet with their families. So we're trying to see how we can manage that. The CYCCs, um, uh, which are children's homes and secure centers, we're still saying that um, uh, we are restricting visitations uh, with vigorous um, uh, monitoring uh, and following of protocols. So there will be visitation, but 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 restricted. Same with the treatment centers, same with the shelters uh, and residential shelters, and same with uh, the shelters for homeless people. Of course, we continue to provide the service that we do, uh, and COCTA uh, and, uh, and SALGA uh, continue to provide the infrastructure in that regard. Just very quickly uh, on ECDs, we're saying that... Um, uh, of course, we all know that ECDs are open, um, and um, uh, we are just saying that uh, in line with the court decision that was taken, ECDs remain open subject to the various measures put in place. And of course, we are continuing the support uh, through uh, uh, providing PPEs uh, and seeing how best we can assist the sector. We're engaging with the sector in this regard. We know that there are challenges around the workforce, and we know that there are challenges around uh, some ECDs having challenges with closure. We're looking into these measures together with the sector to see how best we can assist them over and above providing PPEs. So we're also looking at other measures, including employment stimulus, etc. So those are some of the measures that we're putting in place. Um, you know, Chair, the biggest challenge we have with ECDs is that you have just over now, I believe that what we're beginning to hear more and more is that the unregistered ECDs are just above 40,000. So at first we thought it's 33 to 35,000 or so, but it's actually between the range of 40,000 and possibly 50,000 uh, ECDs that are not registered. So we're saying we're ramping up our Vanga Sali program uh, to, to the next phase, uh, which is to massify um, the uh, registration of ECDs. Um, and then we're also saying that, uh, of course, we've provided guidelines uh, and SOPs which serve as a guide uh, to ECDs in terms of how they should manage uh, uh, screening, how they should manage play areas, uh, and how they should engage uh, in terms of um, uh, the, 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 the changing some level of, um, what do you call this, um, what do you call it? Um, the, the, what you're teaching, the stimulus work, uh, but there's another word that we use, um, curriculum, that's the word I'm looking for. So so these are guidelines, not prescriptive, these are guidelines um, that we're providing to the sector. Uh, in terms of food, we are saying that we, uh, uh, we, we still have the challenge of the demand uh, which exceeds the availability, but we're engaging with Treasury and other institutions to see how best we can uh, crowd in a little bit more funding in this area, uh, and we're saying that our own CNBCs um, are, are going to continue with the knock and drop service. So as opposed to providing a plate of food, we want to still provide food parcels and other measures so that we're able to deal with that. Very quickly, maybe me ask the, um, okay, this is just highlighting the impact on um, on, on, on our business continuity, basically in, in the DSD. We are saying that um, in, the, in the sector, and this doesn't include NDA and SASA, um, the number of offices has clo have closed. I think we have over 137 offices that have closed, of course, bringing an impact to um, uh, to the continuation of service delivery. When I say closed, I mean they're closed for sanitization and, 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 and decontamination. It's not closed continuously. So we close them for those 24 hours and then we reopen. So, um, of course, we've had a number of fatalities. These numbers have since uh, increased uh, dramatically. 
Uh, I think we're sitting on around um, almost 25 fatalities in the entire sector now uh, across the, 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 the provinces. And um, uh, a number of, the, of our staff are still awaiting results and in isolation. Um, but uh, we are continuing to follow the relevant protocols in this regard um, and ensuring that contact tracing and isolation, et cetera, are being done accordingly. So some of some of these are affecting service delivery, but we've put measures in place to try and see how best we can manage that. Maybe I can ask the CEO of SASA of NDA quickly uh, to talk to this slide, uh, which basically deals with um, the updates from the NDA side. And then following uh, this, we'll have the CEO of SASA. CEO of NDA? NDA? Share with your guidance, can we take the CEO of SASA first and then come back okay, to the NDA? Okay, SASA. What happened to the NDA? They disappeared. I think Baseko on the chair. Thank you very much, DG. Honorable uh, members, uh, Chairman, I thought rather than just talk to the issue of the payments, it's important to highlight the number of hours that we've lost and uh, the impact on our offices. We have had quite a number of fatalities in our space, particularly in terms of uh, deaths. Uh, they've increased from the 11 deaths we had last week. We are now sitting at 13 deaths. So it is uh, beginning to impact uh, in our space and making sure that all the places uh, uh, for servicing people continue to be open. But the, 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 the comforting issue is the fact that the recoveries uh, are, are quite high, particularly in the Eastern Cape where the bulk of the fatalities have actually happened. We've had uh, 102 people actually recovering, even though they confirmed cases 139. Uh, so that, that, that is showing a, a good size. Uh, the, the other challenging issue to manage is just the panic when uh, people know that somebody is is positive and to make sure that we all continue to en and encourage our people to keep, to keep calm and make sure that work uh, still does happen. And for us to continue to make sure that we create opportunities for us to be able to enable uh, people uh, to work offline, yet uh, in some instances, like in your supply chain environment, it becomes a challenge because it's impacted by the laws and regulations that say people should actually use paper. And we don't want to be found to be wanting when it comes to audit time. Uh, so on the issue of the of, of the payment, uh, we've just recently gone through our next cycle of payment and that uh, went through uh, okay, uh, except for instances uh, with regards to the persons uh, with disabilities uh, who, who, who fell off uh, from, from, the, from the track. Uh, because we were waiting for the for the what you call for the uh, re directions to be re-signed, they've been re-signed and they will be brought back onto the the the, the cycle for them to continue to be pay get paid uh, going forward. We continue to engage with labour because they, there's concern about us uh, opening up for persons with disabilities to for us to phase it in for them to begin to come to our offices so that they can be able to to get the service. The doctors are comfortable to come back. In instances where we, we, we use the, the health facilities, it's becoming quite a huge challenge uh, uh, in terms of us being able to get that support. But I thought it was important rather than talk uh, to the, 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 the payment numbers just to indicate what the impact of COVID is in our uh, uh, different infrastructures and will provide uh, the report in terms of where we are with payment. Thank you, Chair. 
has the NDA resurfaced? Ah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, let me... CEO of NDA? I'm sorry. Let, let me try and talk to the... Let me try... Oh, I could, I could have spoken to them because I'm aware of them. Um, very briefly, we, yeah, we, we, we continue with our volunteer program and we're trying to find ways to increase the numbers. Uh, as I indicated before, these are our foot soldiers on the ground and um, they are really, really assisting us uh, across uh, uh, the, 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 the country. Uh, the other day we were in, um, we we're trying to, uh, in fact, I was in a mall and there was a whole lot of people uh, at a Sasa um, uh, office. And um, I tried to engage with our people to see how we can extend our volunteers to also try and assist uh, in terms of queue management there because the lines are really, really increasing at post offices. We're also talking to the post office in this regard to try and see how they can assist us. Um, just an update on current funds. I think we've paid just over, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's over 17 million rand last week. 17 and a half million rand. If not, it's 100. How much is it? I think it's 17 and a half million rand that we paid in one week last week. And we have paid 131 um, um, uh, CS, CSOs. Um, and uh, we're continuing to make the payments in this regard um, so that they're able to do their work around around um, uh, 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 assisting us uh, in, the, in the GBV sector. I must highlight that uh, we were given 12 months to do this project since January. We are on month number eight now and we've already paid a significant amount of, of CSOs. We're continuing to do this, and we think that we can actually do much more. But what we're doing is, because the money we have is not enough, we're also talking to other institutions, uh, Solidarity and one or two others, to see how we can build up more money uh, and uh, uh, so that we are able to uh, further support the sector in this regard. Um, as you know, the first case is, is, is extremely strained, and we're talking to other institutions to work with in this regard. Just on office rationalization, we are saying the money that we would have spent for rent uh, at a number of our offices in various provinces, we're now beginning to redirect that money to see how best we can assist the sector um, and uh, because we are saving that money. What we're doing in the majority of the provinces is that within DSD offices, we are trying to see where we can uh, bring in some of our staff um, instead of paying rent for, N for, for NDA offices, we're saying perhaps they can be housed in some of the uh, GSD uh, provincial and regional offices. So that's helping us in terms of saving money there. Um, yeah, and in terms of business continuity, I think we continue at, at the NDA. We're also working a hybrid model where some colleagues are working from home and some are working from the office and they rotate uh, regularly. Um, of course, there has been one or two infections and we continue to to um, uh, to follow the relevant protocols in this regard. Now that we're at level two, we're trying to get guidance from TPSA in terms of what do we do around um, uh, 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 staff. Of course, those with comorbidities and those over 60 continue to work from home. Thank you, Chair. I'll leave, let me leave it at that. Uh, do you, Minister, do you want to say anything? One or two, and before we close? Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I think it's it's all um, uh, uh, covered. I, I, I think that um, uh, they, are, they are just, if, if members have got other issues uh, that might be relating to, um, uh, to COVID-19 and, and what maybe they come across and you know, it's we we open for that kind of uh, engagement because unfortunately, I think the manner in which we're presenting now, we had very little time. 
So we're not able to go further and the members are not even able to engage with what we have presented here. So my request is that if in case there are other things that members want are, are critical of what is being presented here, they can just send us uh, through your office um, a, a chairperson in case they want okay. other issues to be clarified. I think the request I'm going to ask, we, we've got no permission to go up to three o'clock. You, you have to get that permission. And I want to say to the members, can they write their questions? Can then can can we make sure that ATG by the sunset tomorrow, uh, the responses will have been circulated? Yeah, I think that's fine, Chairperson, because it would also give, even when we come to the next meeting, if in case we feel there are things that uh, we need to report, because this is a standing item now. Every time we have the meeting, we'll have to, if there are issues that we didn't cover now because of time, we can respond to that. If they were not adequately answered, we can deal with them in the next meeting. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Minister. But the, the one point I want to hammer on, DG, is that we, we don't have to remind the department that this is a standing item. That's why that 48-hour is so critical. Just You circulate the document because we reduce the time of your presentation. We, we take time more on engagement. And it makes us use the term in a more fruitful way than the other way. Uh, Lindy? Not, not my game. <laughs> I was about to say you. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Mr. Tavo. Uh, uh, anything uh, else? No, Chair. We, we've concluded the agenda for the day. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Members, for that cooperation as usual. I'll always love you, and we'll work together in this session. And uh, at that point in time, the meeting is closed. Thank you very much. Have a good day in Parliament. Viva, Madiba, viva. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>